Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Recently we've been going through uh, our values and we're on Love God uh, and I've got Christ-centered. So it may sound like an obvious one. Oh yeah, we're all at church. (laughs) So it's Christ-centered. Yeah, 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 we get that, we get that. But stick with me because what I'm about to unpack today, you may have heard before, but sometimes it's good to refresh and hear again. Uh, So yeah, so the question I have for you is, is God at the center of your life Every day, not just on a Sunday, not just on a Thursday at dinner party, not just when you're in that holy moment and you're like, yes, I just need you right now. So I'm going to be like really holy. And yeah, you are at the center now. But is he at the center of your whole life? Because here at Global, we believe that God should be at the core of your life, right in the middle of every part. Almost if if it was cut me in half, I should bleed Jesus. But not in a weird way, okay? We're not saying, like, have a cross in the middle and, like, when you're on a night out and you're going to go out with, like, a cross and go, yeah, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. I'm not saying that. That would be a bit orcs and a bit weird. But, you know, we are in such a privileged position to be able to come to church and know that, and you might not know, you might be your first time here, but what I want to tell you is that you can do things in God's strength and not just yours. And, you know, God, who is the creator of the almighty universe, he's got your back, regardless of what you think or whether you feel like he's got your back or not, but he does. And even for those who aren't in church, those people on nights out, those families you see at nursery, your work colleagues, God's got their back, even if they don't know it. It's so good. But, you know, sometimes I get it and it's, you know, life is busy and we almost forget that we've got God. I don't know about you. I'm like, I go through life. I go through work. Uh, well, I currently don't have a job. It's great. I'm like lady of leisure right now. But even then, I'm like, I've not really got a lot to do. But still, I forget that God's there. And it's like you get so wrapped up in life and in family and friends and trying to entertain this person and entertain this feeling and make sure you're at this place at the right time in the right place. But We forget that God's at the center. So I've got two points for us. And the first one is, why should we keep God at the center of our lives? So like I said, apart from like God is like the almighty creator of the universe, like that is a pretty big deal. I definitely could not create the world. Now, yes, that we went to, I definitely couldn't. Yes, I like to think I can sometimes. But yes, that we went down to London and they had their first service. And on the way back in the car, it was a few of us and they worked for the NHS. And I sat there thinking like, how did this happen? How did they like, also like medicine got invented. I got that bit. But then I'm like, how did it work out that they need all these different departments? And then someone then said, all right, to save a bed space, we're going to have like specific nurses who then go to their houses to do dialysis, to do whatever, all these treatments. Like who thought of like the finest of detail? And it's just crazy. Like I just, yeah, I couldn't quite fathom it. But like I say, although like we know that God's almighty, Sometimes it's so easy to box our lives into different areas. So, like, I, I laughed at this when I wrote it because I'm like, this is definitely me. As in, I'm like, so I have, like, 
when I did have a job, work friends, and then I have uh, my church friends, and then I like to play netball, so now I have my netball friends, and then, um, oh, finances is probably going to slip in there somewhere, otherwise I'll never have any money, and then I'm like, oh, well, I quite like going out, so I'm like, oh, my social life, that's another bot, so I'm like, it's great because these people are here, these people are here, these people are here, and these people are here. It's great because I can then just juggle everything and it'll be fine because sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm here, but you know, it works. But having God at the center, so being Christ-centered, God is constant. He doesn't change. You know, in the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So although like in, um, so I'm I'm part of kids' work, so like that's up and down. I mean, we had 40 kids last week. I was absolutely buzzing, but <laughs> that had its struggles. I mean, there was, yeah, let's not go into it, but there was like up and down or like uh, with work. I have a job. Yeah, I'm loving my job. Now I don't have a job. That was my choice, to clarify. But now I don't have a job, and it's like, oh, right, so now I don't have an income. Crap. Like, how am I going to like pay rent? Really awkward when my landlord sat in here. Um, <laughs> but no, it's good. And it's, you know, our emotions go up and down in the week, but God stays the same. He is constant. He doesn't change regardless of the weather, regardless of how you're feeling, if you're on a high, if you're on a low, if you're hungover. He doesn't change at all. You know, in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And it's so true. Like, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just the way. He's not a way. He's not a truth. He's not, he's not where you think, oh, well, I've run out of solutions now, so then I'll think about God. No, no, no. He is the way, the truth, the life. And um, those who I was still with earlier will laugh. This is an elastic band, right? It's broken because I accidentally broke it earlier. It's fine. But I have a different one. But it works because in different areas, when, when your life is stretched, things pull, right? So if this side I've got work but then this side I've got like uh, relationships and it's pulling it's pulling it's pulling at some point it will snap just like this one okay at some point it will do or it'll go like this then you pulls again and then it will snap I was going to get someone out in front and then like get them to pull it and snap them but I didn't but um but I didn't want to hurt anyone but it will just snap at some point God is at the center and then all your different things are pulling you take God with you and you've got God's backing, and he's so much stronger, and you're going to get through it with God, okay? But, you know, God's backing you every step of the way. He gives you, we, we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, and if you ask any kids in kids' church, they should be able to sing you the song. They might just name you lots of fruits, because it tells you, like, it's not a banana, it's not a cherry, but it's like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and it's all them things that he gives you in your situation. So when when your family is stretching you and your kids are winding you up, winding you up, you've then got God with you, backing you every step of the way. So that's why you should have God at the center of your lives. So my second and last point is, how do we keep God at the center? So we've known the why, so it's a bit like, yeah, yeah, I get it, you know, yeah, God's got my back, yeah, but how do I actually put that? How do I actually apply that? Um, and in Matthew 7:24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his hand on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And what I want to ask you today is, what are your foundations? What, what are you building your life on? Are you building it on rock, or are you building it on sand? And when Christ is at the center, it gives you this peace. When he's taken that place of being at the center of your life, where he should rightfully be, when he's fully there, He's the king of our lives, and it produces that peace rather than, like, anxiety or fear or anything like that. So, you know, but in terms of your foundations is, I had a thought, I had a thought like, um, when it's payday, I don't know about you, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's like two days till payday. Yes, payday's here, woo-woo, I can, like, splash out, and I'm like, I really shouldn't do that. But it's like... It's a good way and a good test to see what is at the center of your life because I know when it's paid it, the first thing I think of when I've got that money in my bank is, yes, I can um, go on a night out, <laughs> usually. Or I can go shopping, or it might be I can go buy my kids some clothes, or it could be whatever you put in there for you. But really, in the Bible, it says, as soon as that money comes in, you should tithe. And that's your 10% back to church. And I would put money on it that a lot of people won't like they won't think like oh yeah payday yes I get to tithe like no one has that feeling well you might do and I mean you're more holy than me if you do but um I definitely don't have that feeling but then it's like is Christ really at the center of your life if we're not thinking in that way because it's too good for someone else to miss out and it's too good for you to miss out so foundation is like coming to church making sure it's a non-negotiable like church here at Acom. I know we're joined at the moment so Sunday night for Spurrygate or a Monday night for Acom. it's like get yourself there it's like it's a non-negotiable yeah we have holidays you might miss a week but it's saying like where possible I am there I'm not going to book in to go to the spa on a Sunday morning like it's not going to happen because I'm Christ-centered. Or Thursday night at a dinner party, I'm not going to book in to go see someone else or go to the cinema because I'm Christ-centered. And, you know, if you seek first the kingdom, all will then be given to you. And it's seeking God first and God being at the center. So um, just to conclude, when you have the foundations, it just means when you're faced with decisions, so when your life is being stretched, you can go back to God's word. You can go back to God who's at the center of your life and you know you're, you're basing your life on good principles. So on that, I'll finish. I'm going to hand over to Sam. Thanks, Becky. All righty. So I've got the task of talking about being Bible-based and it's one of our values as a church is in, in that we love God, that we are Bible-based. And one of the reasons of that is we wouldn't be a church if we weren't Bible-based. So if we based our thoughts and uh, our preaching on just our feelings and just what we thought about life, that would probably make us more a cult than a church. We're not a cult. So there's your first point. Um, <laughs> the thing about being Bible-based, and, and this is, so you get this talk, and uh, it was the one that no one else opted for, <laughs> um, but being Bible-based, you kind of feel that like someone's going to get up here and say, we really, we should read our Bibles more, and we should read our Bibles every day, and you know, I don't know if you're anything like me, you sign up to a Bible plan, and then it's like, oh, I need to catch up my 62 missed days on my Bible reading plan, um, but I think 
being Bible-based is this, that, that what Anna said last week, I think she nailed it when she said that the game changer is your relationship with God. So she talked about us being relational as a church and having different relationships, but the game changer, the real one that matters, is a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. Um, and I think for myself that if I didn't have that, if I didn't have a relationship with God that was personal, I probably still, I, I wouldn't still be here in church. I wouldn't have made it this far. Um, and if, if I just based my church experience on my relationships with my friends um, or even my wife and my kids, I probably still wouldn't be in church because it's my relationship with God that keeps me going. Um, and I think for a lot of us, um, you know, in this, you know, living in this society, living in York, it's a nice city and stuff, often our problems is the turmoil up here that doesn't often show around here or on Facebook, on our Instagram. Um, but it's, it's the turmoil up here that we struggle with. Um, and it's, we almost wish that we had a physical problem that we could just solve physically. So it's like, I'm ill, so I take time off work, and then we kind of wish that we had a physical problem that we could solve physically. But often we try and solve a spiritual problem physically. We try and solve it with pills, or we try and solve it with... Um, you know, doctors and all that kind of stuff. And I, in one sense, I'm not putting that down, but I, I am saying that if we have a spiritual problem, we need to solve it spiritually. You know, for me, I'd, I often struggle in my head. I have mind battles or I have thoughts which, uh, you know, people don't like me, people don't rate me, people, um, you know, they, they only listen to you because of this or whatever. Um, and you might be similar. You might have problems that go on in your head. Um, but the way to deal with those problems is not a physical thing but a spiritual thing. And that, that is my first point, is that God's word is your foundation. Knowing that God loves me, knowing that God's for me, not against me, going, knowing that God has good plans for me, knowing that God has called me, and he's called me for a purpose, that he, he not only does he, has he created me, but he's created me to do stuff to fulfill his will in life. It is an amazing thought in itself, like God actually rates me that much that he's created in me in such a way, and you, that you will, that you will fulfill his purposes. Like, it's amazing that he's got good things in store for you to walk into. Now, all these things are in the Bible. That's how I know them. Um, and I want to read the same verse that Becky read. Um, so maybe God's got something to say to us this morning. This is in Matthew 7, 24 to 27. If you've not heard this before, you obviously weren't listening about five minutes ago. This is what Jesus said. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. He's talking about Jesus' words. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So note that this foolish man had heard what Jesus had said. Um, and in those days, they didn't have the written Bible, um, as in, because it was happening. So they hadn't written it all down yet. Whereas we've got it, we've got it written down. So it's not so much knowing the word as what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, and, and does not do them. So he says, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. 
And I've always read that, and I've always thought, well, it's okay for me because I'm in church. Therefore, I'm built on rock. Because it's all right for me because I've read my Bible or I've heard what's been said on a Sunday, and I've listened to it. I've even taken notes. And, uh, you know, I've fallen into that trap of thinking, like, I'm okay because I've heard it. Whereas Jesus didn't say those who hear it. He says those who do it. And it's because of our relationship with God that we keep going. Even when times are hard, even when your head's full of rubbish, even when you're spiraling down and you're not spiraling up, that God's word is foundational to us. And I had that picture. Can we get that picture up at the front, um, the one I had at the beginning again, Bible-based? And it's got a person here falling into a safety net. It's like a trapeze artist kind of thing, if you've ever seen them in the circus. And there's always a safety net underneath, or there should be. And our safety net is God's word. Our safety net is the grace of God that no matter what we do, no matter how far we fall, no matter how bad we feel in our heads, we can fall into the arms of a loving father who loves us, rates us, wants the best for us. He's for us. He's not against us. And he will pick us back up and put us back on track every single time. And, you know, I've, I've walked through this kind of stuff. My second point is this. Knowledge is power, question mark. Knowledge is power, question mark. Because you'll have often heard it said, knowledge is power. If you've got knowledge, you've got power. And I want to say applied knowledge is power. Because if you just know stuff and you don't do anything with it, then you're like that foolish man. And, and you know, I'm preaching to myself here because I'm thinking I know lots of stuff. Because I think often when we think Bible-based, we think, you know, and we whip ourselves because I haven't read my Bible today or I haven't read my Bible in a week. And it's like, but what about that little bit that you do know? What about, you know, Jesus summed it up for us. Selena spoke on this the other week. Um, you know, Jesus summed the whole thing up as in like, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all the law and all the prophets just basically say this. And it's not that we shouldn't read the rest of the Bible, but Jesus summed it up. And I think if we were to just act on what we know, rather than think, I need to fill myself with more knowledge, I need to read my Bible every day, and and get me right here, reading the Bible is good for us. It does good for us. When you read it, you will feel refreshed. And it's one of those things that we battle with, with going to, um, but it does refresh you. But I want to say, why don't we just do what we know? See, being Bible-based is not what you know, but what you do with what you know. Joe. Um, for those who don't know me, I am Joe, and this leads on quite nicely from Sam's last point. It's what you do, and one of the key things we do here at Global is mission. And we are mission, it's one of our values, we are mission-focused. But yeah, so why are we talking about mission? And um, I'm going to crack out a bit of Latin for you. Missio Dei, and that roughly translates to, this is God's mission. God is mission, this is God's mission. And um, it's summed up quite nicely by a guy, a guy called David Bosch, who says, mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. And we can see that in John 3.16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Since the beginning, God has been on a mission to save his people through sending his son to come and die on a cross so that we might be saved and we have eternal life. And so it's our mission now to spread that news because there's people out there that don't know that. And Paul says in Acts, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
And so that's why we're here. So what is the mission? I summed out, we have been given clear instructions by Jesus himself. In Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the very age. There we go. From Jesus' mouth himself, our instructions on what we need to go out and do. And that is where we take our mission statement as a church from, where we want to make disciples, we want to plant churches, and we want to reach cities. So firstly, we're making disciples. We're not just drawing a crowd. We're not just having a party. As much as we love doing that, we are here to bring people into a relationship with God. We are here to come and bring them closer. And then we tool them up and we send them back out to bring more people in. That's how we're making disciples. If we have a room full of people who are, are just coming and listening and sort of the, that consumer mentality of what have you got for me, then as soon as the room is full, we can't bring anyone else in. So we need people who can go out and bring more and be disciples rather than just people who are here. And we plant churches, because that's a great place to train these people up. I absolutely love church. I could talk about it all day. Um, and it's, it's a biblical thing all through the New Testament, where people preached the gospel, they planted churches. It says in Acts 2, 41 to 42, those who accepted his message were baptized, uh, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That sounds like a church to me. And that's what we're going for. And yeah, Dave's done a series recently on a place to belong. So if you're not sure why church is a great idea, have a listen to that podcast or come and talk to someone else who's here because we love being here. And the next one is we reach cities. And that's because as global, we want to reach people of influence because people of influence can reach more people. And often you see that in the cities. In, in society, if, uh, that's where the creators of culture go. We've got artists, musicians, business owners. Quite, you will find more of those in the city. And what starts in the city will flow out around it. So we're strategically going after the cities. So what can I do? What's my part in this? And the answer is everybody has a part to play in this. You don't need to be special. I'm standing here. There's probably other people in this room who could do a much better job of this, who could talk great stories about how they've been on mission. But that's partly my point. You don't have to be special. Anyone can do it. In Acts, it talks about the disciples who'd been preaching the gospel. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is the only thing you need. You need to have been with Jesus. And then your mission, it flows out of you. So I've got for us tips for being missional. These are things I've noticed in my life, um, and so I thought I'd share them with you. So number one, build your community. You can't tell your friends about God if you haven't got any friends. <laughs> it's quite as simple as that, really. Um, so build with the people around you. Be inconvenienced. Like, take the initiative, because other people aren't necessarily going to come up to you and go, oh, I've heard you're a Christian. Tell me about it. The thing is, like, build it into your life. We have big lives, and we're busy people, but what can you do? So I go to work. And I eat lunch when I'm at work. I could sit at my desk and maybe get a few jobs done while I eat my lunch. But it's, that's not going to help anybody. But actually, if I'm sitting with my friends every day and eating lunch together, we have conversations, we build relationship, and that builds a platform for me to be able to speak into. Um, or like, I have a, like a small gap between finishing work and going on to the next thing in the evening. It's like, actually, can I use that couple of hours? So quite often I will meet up with somebody before dinner party or before band practice, because that's just another chance to, to use a gap of time. So just look for those opportunities where you can bring them in. 
And next one is be bold. God's given you a spirit of boldness. Again, people aren't necessarily going to initiate these conversations themselves. But it, and it can be a bit nerve-wracking. So I invited some colleagues to our Christmas service. And I was a bit like, oh, they're probably not going to come. They might think I'm a bit weird. But you know what? One of them came. And he brought his wife. And they brought two more friends. And that's four people who came to church and heard the gospel that day, who wouldn't have done it if I hadn't invited them. Similarly, when you've, because we're talking about making disciples, it's like I was, there was a girl who was coming to church for ages and she was sticking around and you could tell she kind of wanted to believe it. And so one day we're, we're sat in the bar and I just turned to her and I said, look, when are you going to respond? When are you going to become a Christian? And actually, that prompted a conversation where she talked about some of the things that were blocking her. We had a conversation and she became a Christian there and then in the bar. Like, it just come, happens as part of your everyday life. But have that boldness to just start the conversation. You might feel silly, but... So what? And you know what? Tell your story. Give, you can give a logical argument about how historical Jesus existed or how church is the answer to society. And it is those things, but that's probably not going to convince someone to come to church. What is attractive is you, your life, your story, and your transformation. And people can't argue with that. If you've got an answer for what has God done for you, why do you come to church? Then they can't argue with that. And also, that story might help shape some of the, the mission that you have. So for me, I've been to church since I was about a week old. And I, so I have built my life, as Sam and Becky were saying, with Christ-centered, Bible-based, and on a strong foundation of God's word. And I know that that has protected me from so much growing up and set me up well, successful in life. And that is why I absolutely love being in the kids' team, because I want that for them. I want them to grow up knowing that. And so there might be a similar story for you. If you've suffered from anxiety and God's freed you from that, then you'll be brilliant at reaching people who are suffering with anxiety or similar things like that. And the next one is work as a team. It might not be you that gets through to your friends. We, we can all get through this together. So I um, quite like to go out with my work friends. We'll go and have a drink. And once I invited uh, Mike along, he invited my friend to church. And that's great. Be like Mike. <laughs> when we know each other's stories, we can find people and we can introduce our friends to people we think they'll connect with, people who we think we'll get through, we'll, we'll get through to them. And also, if you're a bit nervous about sort of having a God chat, or bring them along to your dinner party, bring them along to church, because hopefully there'll be someone there who can help, help you have that conversation. And then that relies on the other side of the coin as well. When your friends from church are introduce, introducing their friends, Help them out. <laughs> Invite them. Start, strike up a conversation. Because if it all goes wrong, you might never see them again. But like, so it doesn't matter if you're feeling a bit embarrassed. And the last one is to remember why. As I said before, we're not here to be popular or to run a club. Every person who hears the gospel and believes in Jesus is another person saved. God is mission. By sending his son, he made a way to save each and every one of us. And he sends us back out to save more. When you're tired or you're discouraged, remember that that invite, that cup of coffee, that doing the school run together, that could be the catalyst for your friend being saved. The difference between death and life, between darkness and light. Hi everyone, my name's Louise and I'm going to talk to you today about being spirit-led. So what is spirit-led first? I thought I'd explain that. So we know uh, God Almighty has three parts to his character. He's God, our loving Father, he's Jesus the Son and our Saviour, and he's also the, the Holy Spirit, and he's there to guide us, lead us, and correct.
correct us. Just like water has three parts, it's a solid, a liquid and gas, but it's also water. So being spirit-led means that we kind of shake off our human natural desires and our human way of thinking. And uh, we, we then have a desire to be led and we put our faith in God that he actually knows what he's doing. So being spirit-led is being led by the Holy Spirit, being led by God. So I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about Jonah. Um, he was a guy that was given a command by God. So we're going to pick this up, Jonah 1 in the Bible. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for the parches. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed the Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went up to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So you think at that point he would not be running away from God. He kind of gets who he is. <laughs> this terrified them. They asked, what have you done? They already knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we'll leave it there, it does go on. He does survive. And uh, Jonah ended up in a storm, but he does go on in the future to do great things for God. So my question to you today is, uh, what is your storm right now? What are you going through that seems big and overwhelming? And how do you deal with that storm of life? So I think that there are four types of people that we can be in these situations. I'll tell you which one I am as we get there. So number one, are we the broker? The roper tries to hold everything together, they tie everything down, quick, tie this down over here before it falls overboard, over and over here, we tie this down before this falls overboard. They're a bit of a control freak, that's just what you But we don't need to get rope burns. Stop trying to hold on to everything and control everything. You are, you're not speaking to the storm in that situation, you're reacting to the storm. So God says that he's burning his light. If we trust him and be spirit-led, we don't need to be controlled for 
Hebrews to try and hold on to everything ourselves. Or we must throw it. Like the shipmates in Jonah's boat, you throw things overboard. A relationship gets too difficult, so we just throw it away. Uh, rather than working for your issues. Uh, things get a little bit tough, so you throw your faith away. Oh, this kind of thing's not real. Uh, I'm just going to throw this away. You walk away from a job because it gets a little bit too tricky. You bury your head when it comes to finances and you just throw it all in. That is not the way to be. Oh, either no hope. This is like the Titanic captain. He's going down with his ship. You stay on that sinking boat no matter what is happening, even when God's trying to move you on. So you stay in the same job year in, year out, year in, year out. And God's saying, look, there's a whole world of opportunities out there. What are you yeah, doing? Stop yeah. burying your head and stop going down with the sinking ship. Yeah. Um, or, are we number four? This is more what God wants us to be, I think. This is the shipmate. This is what Jonah finally did. He allowed God to lead him out of the storm. Yeah. Um, he let God be the captain of his ship and he was the trusty shipmate. He ended up going on to do massive things for God. But if he'd have been spirit-led in the first place, he wouldn't have to endure a storm, being thrown overboard, being swallowed by a fish and then being vomited up on the sand. He could have just gone from A to B without all that storm and all that drama. So I remember when we were given the challenge to move from Lancashire to York, and in hindsight, that was the absolute perfect right thing to do. But at the time, we had eight weeks to find a house, a school, a job, everything. Eight weeks to do it all in. And in that storm, it could really seem like, uh, you know, we might chuck it all in. We might just say, no, I'm going to be throw out and throw all that away, that opportunity, because I don't know what the future holds. We could have been a rope and trying to control everything. No, I must find a job before I move. No, I must find a house before I move. But we didn't. We gave it all over to God. And you know, it ended up being the best decision that we ever made, is just being spirit-led. Brilliant. So my challenge today is, are we spirit-led? Do we ultimately trust God to guide us? And at Global, we understand that that's a journey. You know, it takes time to build up that trust and that faith in God. But with the community around you, going to dinner parties and talking through these issues with your church family, you will become more spirit-led. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website.